It always helps if you turn it on. Uh, well, hi. The, you know, when, uh, when they asked me to come speak this week, you know, they talked about that most of the time I've been speaking to the grown-ups, and, um, which is really boring, but that's a whole other deal. Um, <laughs> but then they said on Friday night, you'll get to speak to the grown-ups and the 7th, 8th, and ninth graders. And I thought, that's really cool. But then I began to kind of think, what do you, what do you talk about with that, you know, with 7th grade to ninth graders, middle school kids, and adults. Something that, a topic that both of them are really interested in. And then I realized what it was. Homework. <laughs> and then I thought, no. Because I think the grown-ups care more about it than the kids do. <clears throat> so then I thought, what else is an important topic for both grown-ups and Teenagers, almost teenagers. And then I realized what it was. Nutrition. <laughs> Nutrition. I mean, it's important. Our body needs it. Our mind needs it. Um, it, it, it impacts. It's important to your health. Um, you know, you need lots of it your whole life. I mean, it's just a, it, it, it's like exercise. I mean, it's not, just, it's not just you, but your parents need it a lot too. Um, <laughs> nutrition is just really an important topic for us these days. And, uh, and, and you need to learn about nutrition. You know, you can't just experiment with nutrition and, and try and figure it out on your own, okay? So nutrition is really, and I thought we would spend our night talking about nutrition, okay? <laughs> Did somebody change my flip chart? It doesn't say nutrition, does it? Okay, well, forget that. Let's talk about sex. <laughs> While it's up there. You know, there probably is no topic no subject that impacts a teenager's life more than sex. Whether you're having sex or not, it's a topic that has a huge impact. And you know what? It's true for adults too. There probably is no single topic that has more of an impact on us, whether we're experiencing it or not, than sex. There's also probably no area in our life that brings us more pleasure more intimacy, more hope, more pain, and guilt, and regret, and shame than the area of sex. Um, and let me start our topic tonight by saying, parents right now, I just need you to know, they're, they're more nervous than you are. Because here's the deal. Your parents probably have a whole lot of regret and guilt in this area too, okay? And I'm going to make a request of you that I think is just wise for you and for them. I don't think this is ever a topic that you want. I think it's a topic you want to talk about with your parents. But don't ever put your parents on the spot and say, did you have sex before you were married? What about? Because here's why. I can just tell you flat out, there's a whole bunch of stuff that they regret. And it would be hard for them to talk to you about it. And also, if there's mistakes that they made in the past, I keep talking over here, are there any, you, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> just heard it was about sex and decided to stick around, right? 
<clears throat> right now there's a, bunch, a whole bunch of fourth graders downstairs on their own. <clears throat> Are you the KCs for these guys? Oh, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. But I, I would just bet that there's a whole bunch of parents in this room that have a lot of shame and guilt over this area that wish they could go back and do this over and do it differently and do it better. And to have that conversation with them puts them in a really awkward position. Um, I also don't think you want those images of your parents the rest of your life knowing that stuff, okay? So talk about this stuff with your parents, but don't ever put your parents on the spot and ask about their sexual past. Um, I just don't think it's healthy for either one of you to, to go to that level, okay? So parents, you can breathe easier now, okay? My guess is that you already have an idea of what I'm going to say, that if we're at a we're at a summer camp, and it's a Christian camp, and so it's the church, and we're talking about sex. We're going to talk. I know what they're going to say. They're going to say you're not supposed to have sex before you're married, right? That's what, that's what they say. It's bad. It's wrong. Don't do it. You're not supposed to have it before. How, in fact, let's just take a survey. How many of you, before tonight, before you just heard me say that, you came in here with the understanding that if you're going to do sex God's way, it means to not have sex outside of marriage. How many? Show of hands. How many of you already knew that? Okay. Yeah, right at about 100% of us. Okay. Here's the question, though. Why is that? It's true, by the way. God doesn't want us to have sex outside of marriage. The question is, why? Why is that? If somebody came up to you at school or back home um, or at work for the grown-ups, if, if somebody came up to you and said, you, you just came back from that summer fest, that family thing, summer splash deal, right? That's a Christian camp, right? And you go, yeah. And they say, you learned about God and stuff. And you say, yeah. And they say, okay, I, I, I've heard this. Tell me if this is true. I heard that God doesn't want us to have sex before we're married. Is that true? And you'd say, yeah, that's true. And they would go, okay, explain one thing to me. Why is that? What would you say to them? What would your answer be? Why doesn't God want us to have sex outside of marriage? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and give them the answer. What would you say? What, what do you think? Just talk to a couple people near you. What do you think are the reasons that God doesn't want us to have sex outside of marriage? Okay, everybody have a chance to answer? <clears throat> okay, I'm not going to do this now, but this is really a fun exercise. It's fun for me to ask a group that question and then write the answers up here. But, but I've done it enough that I pretty much have an idea of what I think your answers would be. If we wrote them up here, you would have come up with stuff like, because it's wrong, because it's a sin, because the Bible says not to, um, and, and maybe if you got up beyond that, you got into some of the more practical stuff like because of unwanted pregnancy or STDs. And, um, and here's what I'll tell you. You know, you look at the statistics, about 90% um, of people in our culture, Christian and non-Christian alike, have sex outside of marriage. 
And so never has there been a piece of information where we more clearly know what God wants us to do. There's no question. There's no gray area going, I'm not sure what God has to say about it. Everybody knows this, and yet we probably follow it the least. And the question is, why is that? And I think it's this. I think it's because the answer to the question, why doesn't God want us to have sex outside of marriage? We have no clue. Because those answers are not the real reason. There's more to it than that. Well, no wonder we're confused about this. So what I want to talk about tonight is, what's the big deal? Why, why is this such an important thing for God, and why is it such an important thing for you, all right? And some people say, well, you know, yeah, you hear that, I heard that in Sunday school, that's kind of an old-fashioned thing, and by, what, what difference does it make? It's just physical. Have you ever heard, anybody heard that one? Come on, it's just physical. It's just a physical thing. It's no big deal, okay? Here's what I think. I think sometimes we say that and we want to, we maybe think we believe that it's just physical, but deep down inside we know that sex is way more than just physical. Even if you've been somebody that says, no, it's just physical, deep down inside I don't think you believe that that's true, and here's why. When you hear that a child has been sexually molested you don't say to yourself, well, it's just physical. Well, it's bad, but it's just physical. Come on. If a woman gets raped, you don't think, well, they shouldn't have done that. But, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. It's just physical, right? Because there's something inside of us that knows, no, 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 it's way deeper than that. There was a violation here that was way deeper than just something physical. We know that sex is, is much deeper than that. Now, here's what I want to tell you as we get into our discussion tonight. I am not here to lay a guilt trip on you or to heap more shame on you, all right? Here's what you need to know. God's desire, and even for, for you at this age, even if you've already done stuff that you that you've made some mistakes and things that you regret and wish you hadn't done and gone places that you shouldn't have gone or done or seen, God doesn't want to heap shame on you. God's desire is to free us from that shame. He's not a God that wants us to carry shame around. It's debilitating to us, okay? So let's talk then about God's view of sex, all right? Now, I think most of us grow up believing that, you know, well, God's not really for sex. He just kind of tolerates it at best, all right? Um, that if God had his way, we really wouldn't even have sex, but okay, if you're gonna, you gotta do it to have kids, okay, just then, just do it then, that's it, okay? Like, like somehow we came up with the idea of sex. It wasn't God's idea, right? Like Adam and Eve are naked in the garden, and they're just walking along one day, and one day they bump into each other, and they're like, whoa, <laughs> that felt good. We fit, you know, they're like, whoa. Let's do that again and again and again. And God's up there going, hey, 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 cut that out. What do you guys, what, get away from each other. No. God created it. It's a part of the way God made us. So he's certainly not against it. In fact, God's really for it. God loves sex. God loves it when people have sex. I think it's one of his greatest creations, and I think he's delighted about it, okay? So let's look at how God created sex, just at the fact that God created it and how amazing he made it, um, and, and I want to look at kind of three different aspects. The first is the physical aspect. God made uh, 
the physical aspect of sex for a couple of reasons. One is for what we call procreation. And you know that you got this in the health class talk that we, that we need sex as humans to have more babies and for the population to continue. That's part of how God designed sex. But the question is, is it more than that? Because some, some of you may have grown up in families or traditions or religions that kind of taught that, well, it's really only about creation. It's only about procreation, only about having babies. Well, do you realize that we are the only animals in the animal kingdom that have sex outside of our fertile period, outside of our fertile time? Some of you have dogs, and your dogs go into heat, and that means that they're at a time in their cycle when they're fertile, and they can uh, have puppies, and sex would produce puppies for them, okay? That's the only time that they have sex. It's the only time those animals have sex is when it's possible for them to have more offspring. I know some of you have weird dogs that like hump people's legs, but that's a whole other... <clears throat> that's, just, that's just wrong, okay? <laughs> Do something about that way, okay. <clears throat> that's not what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so God's designed us to have sex, um, not just for having... We're the only animals that have sex outside of the ability to have kids. The other thing is when you look at the fact that God's designed sex for pleasure. We're also the only animals in the animal kingdom that, deri that derive the kind of pleasure that we do from sexual activity. Okay? And without getting too graphic, um, you know, nerve endings are the things that create sensitivity in our skin and our body and create pleasure. There are more nerve endings in your genitals than anywhere else in your body, by far. I mean, like by... Uh, for men, it's 5,000, and for women, it's 8,000 nerve endings in your genitals, okay? So why is that? Did, was God, did God make people in creation and get all done and go, oh my gosh, I've got a whole bunch of nerve endings left. What am I going to do with these? <laughs> well, I'll just throw them down there where they're out of the way, you know, just, they won't cause any problems down there, just, you know. No! God's designed us in such a way that that's the most sensitive part of our body for a reason, because God's designed it to be pleasurable. The fact that sex is pleasurable is not something that disappoints God. It's something that makes God smile, and he goes, yes, that's the way I created it. I want you to experience the kind of pleasure that you're experiencing in sex. That's the way I designed it. So one is, you know, is a physical aspect. The second, which is kind of intriguing, and I'm, I'm betting even the grown-ups haven't thought about this before or heard this before, and that is that it, the, there's a theological aspect to it. We, as grown-ups yesterday, looked at the, uh, the story of creation, and, uh, and in Genesis where it says, uh, where God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man, mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So God created us to be in his image, in other words, to somehow resemble God. And it's not just that God, and God isn't male, so it doesn't say God made men to be in his image. It says he made us in his image, male and female. In other words, there's something about it takes both men and women to be a full expression of the image of God, of who God is. There's nothing in all of creation that resembles God more than we do. And there's a whole bunch of aspects to that. But sex is an interesting part of that. And here's why. You, you've probably heard in Sunday school the, the theology of the Trinity, that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And that's a confusing thing to understand because, uh, because it's not 
a God who changes form, and sometimes he's a father, and sometimes he's a son, and sometimes he's a Holy Spirit, so he kind of morphs back and forth, so it's one God in three different expressions. It's not that, because there are times in the Bible that we see all three present at the same time, and then we see the Father communicate with the Son. So it's three distinct people in the God triangle, each one who is fully God. And together, they form one God, okay? We can't understand that. That doesn't make sense to us, right? But we just have to believe that it's true. They're three. They're three, they're three separate individuals, and yet they're one, right? It's one God, but three individuals. And we go, okay, I don't quite get how that works. Now, and then it says that we were created to, to resemble God in some unique ways, well, here's a verse that you've probably heard before, and you probably never noticed the correlation between these two. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And you've probably seen at weddings where they light the unity candle and that deal. Because the Bible says when two people get married, the husband is united with the wife, and they become one, one flesh. The Bible says something mysterious, miraculous happens in the marriage where two become one. But yet there's still two individuals. It's not like the, when the bride and groom become one, you go, well, where did the bride go? Where'd the groom go? There's, and who's this new person? They don't become one like that. They're still two individuals, and, and yet they're one. They're, they're two, but they're one. God, who is three, but he's one. And so the, the most full expression that we have of what it means to be created in the image of God is of a husband and wife. And not just a husband and wife, but a husband and wife in the sexual relationship. And so the third aspect of it is not just the physical, not just the theological, but the relationship. Because notice that it doesn't just say the two become one. But it says, the two become one flesh. It's a direct reference to the sexual relationship in a marriage. It could have said, but it doesn't. It doesn't say, the two become one being, or the two become one soul, or the two become of one mind. It says, the two become united sexually. The two become one sexually. There is something specifically that happens in the sexual relationship between a husband and wife that causes the two to somehow bond into one. There's a new bond that's formed, okay? And that's why um, God wants it to be only in marriage because of that bond. And we'll see how, how God has wired our bodies. So what I want to do is take an intriguing look, uh, at least it's intriguing for me, at how God has wired our bodies, how God put us together for sex. Not just the, the health club you know, movie about the reproductive system that you saw, but to go beyond that and some of the unique ways that God has wired us and what makes this so amazing and so special. And so a lot of it has to do with the brain. So I want to talk for a minute about the brain. Because have you ever heard that? How many of you heard that the largest sex organ you have is your brain? Have you ever heard that? Anybody? Show of hands? Yeah, three of us are being honest about that one. Okay, great. I always heard that. I always heard, you know, Gordy, remember that the largest sex organ that you have is your brain. And I always thought that was like a challenge to men and to boys to say, you know, don't make decisions with your penis. You know, use your brain. 
because that's where we make decisions. And that's part of it, but it's, there's so much more than that. Because our brain, all of our thoughts and actions originate in our brain. We don't, ha- I mean, obviously, every, if I decide I want to lift up this coffee cup, there's, a, there's like millions of electrical impulses that happen in my brain that even make the decision for that to happen. And then once they do that, these electrical impulses, these electrical, electrochemical signals that go through my brain make the decision for that to happen. But then they have to institute a whole bunch of things that send the signals down from my brain through my nerves out to the muscles that do everything that makes that happen. There are millions of of electrical signals that happen in my body simply to make something like that happen. Sex is the same way. It all originates in our brain. There is, an, uh, there is a, just a plethora of stuff that has to happen in our brain in and around sex, both the thoughts, the decisions, and the sexual activities themselves. So what I want to do is look at real quick... Um, you would think because our brains, because so much of what happens in our brain and nervous system is like an electrical system that our brains would just be this series of wiring, like all these tubes or wires that are connected and all that kind of stuff. But it's not that. Most of our brain is just this kind of empty gray matter, okay, that, um, that are a whole series of neurons. But God designed it in a really interesting way because neurons were the, the there's, Things called neurotransmitters. That's the chemical, the electrical chemical thing that carries a thought or a decision that carries that through that pathway in your brain. Okay, and so you would think that the neurotransmitter would just be on some kind of a course and going through wires and switching stations, and and the brain would send it all in the right direction. But it doesn't happen that way. It goes through neurons, and at the end, and each neuron kind of has an end like that, and then the next neuron is over here. But then there's this gap between the neurons. They're not connected, which is really intriguing because there's these things, and they're called synapses. And this, you, this won't be on the test. You're probably worried about that. Don't worry about that. Okay. They're, the gaps are called synapses. And so the, this neurotransmitter, this electrochemical thing that has a signal that it's carrying through your brain to have a thought or a feeling or anything else, but it comes to this gap. And it has to jump the gap to get over here. But because this is just like you know, gray matter or water or something, it has to find its own way. And so it, finds, it creates its own path over to this neuron, and then it continues to travel around your brain. And it does that millions of times. Okay? What's really interesting about that is um, that as there are certain thought patterns, and sex is one of those, having sexual thoughts or even the... the process that your brain goes through in sexual arousal to have sex, the, the neurotransmitters that travel through your brain cross these synapses, but they begin to make little grooves. Because what happens when a neurotransmitter like this travels across the synapse, the next time you have that very same thought, it will travel along the exact same path that it did the last time. And so it becomes, becomes almost like this little groove, which, which does two things. It makes that thought happen more easily the next time because now there has literally been a physical change in your brain. There are now physical grooves being cut in your brain that the neurotransmitters travel across. Um, And so the next time, it makes it much easier and much quicker for you to have that exact same thought or the exact same feeling or response. The other thing that it does is because those grooves are there, 
your brain begins to call for those thoughts, and your brain wants to send neurotransmitters along that pathway. And so those thoughts become easier and easier to have. And sex is one of those things that is subject to these kind of patterns in our brain. And so our, our brain actually, when we have sexual thoughts and when we have sexual arousal, our brain actually changes physically around that, okay? So um, the thought process, if you think about it in terms of the way that God's designed us with sex, God loves sex. God wants husbands and wives to have as much sex as they can, okay? That's God's desire. But the, he's created it so that that thought process, assuming that we're still in this model where sex is between a husband and a wife, where those thoughts become easier and easier towards the other person and happen more readily because God wants that to be something that becomes easier and easier as the relationship goes on. But it also means that if my wife, Karen, and I, this are going through, our brains go through this process, it means our brains are literally changing shape and they're literally being changed physically towards the other person. That part of the bonding process between a husband and a wife is that through sex, our brains literally change shape and become more molded and aligned with the other person, which is just really cool. Okay, um, I, had, I was with a group of teenagers one time, um, and we were skiing out in Colorado. And I remember one night being back in our room, and there was like, we, were, we were doing a little camp thing, but I was in my room with my guys. And, um, and somehow they got on the topic of like pornography, and, you know, and they're like, come on, Gordy, is it really that bad just to look at some pictures? I mean, really, can it do any damage? And I was trying to think of how to explain it, and I said this, um, and... Um, and it's, this thought has kind of struck me ever since that. I said, well, imagine this. I said, what if, imagine that, um, that I was able to go through my entire life, and prior to being married to Karen, I had never seen another image of a naked woman. I'd never seen a Playboy magazine. I'd never seen an image on a computer screen. I'd never seen somebody with playing cards that had naked women. I'd never seen a movie with, with sex scenes, and I'd never, seen, I'd never seen any other image of a naked woman anywhere. Imagine that it was possible. I don't think it is, but imagine that I had gotten to my wedding night, and the first time I ever saw an image of a naked woman was when I saw Karen naked on our wedding night. Can you imagine? And the guys just went, ooh. I said, can you imagine what that would have been like? I mean, it was pretty good as it was, but can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine if that was the... I mean, I think we begin to understand when Adam, when Adam sees Eve for the very first time. Now, he, this is the very first time he has ever seen a naked woman because she's the very first woman that ever was, okay? So he sees Eve naked standing before him for the first time, and the Bible says he breaks out into song. He says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There's a song that goes with that, and there's a sense that there is this awe and this wonder and this glory of seeing that. And I said, imagine what, what that would have been like and, um, and to realize that every other image that I have ever seen of any naked woman prior to that night detracted from that experience, detracted from the wonder and the glory that I view my own wife in um, because there were already other pathways that have been created in my brain. And so to think there, it's just harmless 
It's not, because it literally impacts our brain. There's a, there's a whole series of chemicals and hormones that go on in our brain that I think is just fascinating. Um, the first are called endorphins and enkephalins. You've probably heard the word endorphins. You might not have heard of enkephalins. They go side by side. Um, uh, endorphins are natural pain relievers. You, some people that are distance runners often talk about having a runner's high because after enough physical exertion, the body will kick in endorphins, and they're a pleasure chemical. They give you a sense of well-being. They help your body feel well. The brain just begins to disperse endorphins throughout the brain, and it creates a, it's a natural pain reliever. It creates a sense. And so it creates this sense of goodness, and it's a bonding thing. Um, there's also a, there's a part of our brain that's called the preoptic neuron. And again, this won't be on the test. You don't need to write that down. There's a place in our brain called the preoptic neuron. And it's a place where, um, and this is, it's actually developed more in boys than it is in girls, but it's a place where we experience excitement and risk. It's why boys often do riskier behaviors than girls do. Um, but for all of us, it's a place where we, where we experience that. And what happens is endorphins and enkephalins rush to the preoptic neuron when we do that kind of stuff. Any of you ever been uh, bungee jumping or parasailing? Show of hands. How many have been bungee jumping, parasailing, skydiving, anything like that? Okay, that kind of a thing, you know what that's like. I remember the very first time I ever went parasailing. I was a high school kid. I was a junior in high school, and I went to a young life camp. And you get strapped into the parachute, and the boat's pulling you, and all of a sudden you just like go shooting up in the air like 500 feet. And you're just like, wow, this is amazing. And that feeling, that rush that you get, that's this excitement, and it's risk, and it's, and it's just, but it feels great. That's endorphins and enkephalins rushing to this preoptic neuron. That's what creates that feeling. That's what creates that sense of excitement, okay? Endorphins and enkephalins also rush to the preoptic neuron during sex. Okay, so that's what creates in sex that like, wow, that was amazing kind of a thing, all right? It's endorphins and enkephalins, okay? Also, sex produces a greater release of those chemicals than any other activity, greater than skydiving, bungee jumping, all that kind of stuff. So again, is that an accident? No, God designed it that way. God wants us to have that kind of an experience with that. Why? Because it creates a bond with the other person. When we have that kind of an experience together and the endorphins and enkephalins rust to the preoptic neuron for both of us, it not only is like, well, that was fun, but it creates a bond with the other person. But then there's some chemicals that have been put in place specifically for the bonding experience. And that is, um, there is called, there's two of them called oxytocin and vasopressin. Um, starting to hear, you probably have maybe even have heard the term oxytocin, you're starting to hear more about that. But, for, but it's a chemical, it's a hormone that's in our brain that not a whole lot is known about it other than this. Oxytocin, um, and again, oxytocin and vasopressin are two chemicals and hormones that are released in our brain during sexual activity. Um, oxytocin is called uh, sex glue sometimes. It's called a bonding hormone. In fact, as scientists have studied oxytocin, the only reason they find it in our brain, there is no other reason why we have oxytocin in our brain other than to bond us with other people. That's why God put it there. Uh, for women, women, oxytocin is only released in women um, during uh, labor and delivery of a baby, during breastfeeding, and during sex. Okay, think about that. Why would God have this hormone that bonds us to another individual released during labor and delivery, breastfeeding, and sex? 
during labor and delivery, and you know, those of you who have, who have given birth to babies know that there is, a, there is a bond that a mother has with a baby immediately following birth that even, and, and some people think, well, it's because she carried it for nine months. Well, that's part of it, but it's also because God has released hormones, and why, the, why a nursing mother, why there's a bonding that happens with a nursing child um, that, you know, that does, a father giving a child a bottle doesn't have that same experience. Because for the mother, there's, there's oxytocin that's being released in the brain that bonds her to that baby. And it also happens for a woman during sex. Okay? Why? Because it creates a bond for her with her husband. It creates an emotional bond to that person. Um, we talked about the spiritual bond, that the two become one flesh like God, but there's also, there's a spiritual bond, but there's also an emotional bond um, that's created with the oxytocin. And, and the other thing that, that oxytocin does for women is when, when women have sex and oxytocin is released in their brain, it actually creates a desire for more sex. So God's kind of hand, hardwired in there kind of a system that feeds itself, so it creates a desire for more sex. So God knew what he was doing. This was really cool. Right? For men, oxytocin and vasopressin, we, we don't have labor and delivery or breastfeeding, so really the only time oxytocin and vasopressin is released in men is during sexual activity. All right? And again, it creates a bonding. Here's the unique thing for men, though, and boys, this is really important to know. Men, because we're visual, and that's probably not news to you, Guys are visually stimulated. We like to look at things. We, we are, we're stimulated. We, we like to look at things sexually. We like to look at pictures. We're drawn to pictures of naked women. And, but here's what you need to know, that oxytocin is released in our brain when we view those kinds of images, and it literally can bond us to those things. We literally can create chemical bonds in our brains with the images that we see. When we get sexually aroused at whatever we're looking at, while we're sexually aroused, um, can create uh, bonding, okay? So when we talk about, the, you know, the dangers of pornography, it's not just because it's naughty. It's because it does things to your brain that will bond you with that and decrease your ability to actually bond with another person. Um, and so it's really important. So, you know, why did God put that in the system? Why, you know, th everything that we talk about is there for a reason. So if... if Oxytocin, as a man, if oxytocin is released in my brain when I'm stimulated visually by something, the question is, why did God put that there? Okay, well, God's plan is that the only thing that I would ever look at sexually is my wife. That's God's desire. That's God's design. And God's hardwired into my system that when I look at my wife sexually, I become more and more bonded to her because of the oxytocin that's released. And so, and then when we have sex, the oxytocin that's released in each one of us during sex creates, um, would further than bond us to each other, chemically bond us to each other, and create in us a desire for more sex, which in turn would further bond us to each other, which in turn would create in us a desire for more sex, which in turn would... You see, God's, that's God's master plan. Because sex bonds a husband and a wife, God wants it to be there and be in place, and God's put things in place that not only make it happen, but make it happen more often, okay? But there's an interesting thing that happens with oxytocin and with the endorphins and keflins and oxytocin. Um, because over time, 
this is a graph for time, over time. Um, when, when you first start having sex with someone, and, uh, and so I'm going to stay with you know, the picture that God has laid out for us. When you first start having sex with your wife, the, the, the endorphins and encephalins are like at their highest levels, okay? That's like they're going, your brain just goes, whoa, that was amazing! You know, kind of like that. And then, but then after a while, the more and more you have sex, it doesn't mean the sex is any less good. It just means that your brain releases less and less of, that, of those chemicals over time. Okay, So the, the, the brain releases less of that. So there's less of, the, the more a couple has sex, the less it's that kind of wow experience over time. right? But it doesn't make it less exciting. Um, it's the same thing with like, you know, parasailing. You know, the first time I went parasailing, it was like, whoa, because the endorphins and enkephalins were rushing to my preoptic neuron, and I was going, this is unbelievable. And then I went back several years later um, when I was out of college, and I was the waterfront director, and so I actually trained parasail drivers and parasail launchers for a summer, and so, um, and did that for, for a month for a couple of summers. And so, you know, once we were training people to drive the parasail and to send people up on a parasail, we had to, they had to practice. And so I was often the guy that got sent up the rope, right, and dropped in the drink once in a while, but not too often. But I got to, so I, I can't even tell you how many times I've been up in a parasail, like hundreds of times, okay? Now, I still love it. It's still fun. I still enjoy the experience every time. But every time, you know, after a while when I would go up, it wouldn't be that same kind of like a, wow, mom, look at me, kind of an experience. I would really enjoy it. It would be very pleasurable. But my preoptic neuron wouldn't be going nuts like it did the very first time. It's the same thing with sex, okay? So that kind of drops off. But this is what's really, really interesting. Oxytocin, the oxytocin that's released in us during sex, so this is endorphins and encephalins, okay? The oxytocin that's released in us during sex actually increases over time. And so the, the bonding chemical that's released in your brain over time for a married couple actually increases over time. And the bonding gets more and more and more and more, okay? This is why, folks, sometimes you'll talk to people that are in their 70s who have been married for 45, 50 years, and they're saying, we're having the best sex of our life. <laughs> well, okay, they're not doing it, you know, they're not hanging from the chandelier anymore, right? <clears throat> but the bond that has been created in sex over time makes, you know, it's not the wild endorphin encephalin experience that it was when they were younger but it's the best sex they've ever had because of the intimacy and the bond that's been created over time with that, okay? Um, and here's what you need to know. This is true about sexual activity, not just intercourse, okay? So, because one of the things, one of the questions that always comes up when I talk to young people too is when you talk to teenagers about sex, the number one question they have is how far can we go? How far, how far can we go and still be okay? And so we've got this idea, and I think so we have this, because we really want, I mean, we really want to do it right. We want to do it God's way. We have this idea that all God cares about is that we don't have intercourse. 
So God's watching two teenagers who decide to start fooling around sexually and they get naked with each other and they're rolling around naked and they're doing all kinds of stuff. And all God cares when he watches about it is watching them is that they don't have intercourse. And he goes, oh, okay, good. You're fine. No, 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 you're fine. That's fine. You did, as long as you didn't have intercourse, you're fine. You know, you need to realize it's way more than that because all of this stuff is happening through that whole process. I mean, there is something additionally spiritually that happens in intercourse that certainly God wants reserved for marriage, and that's a part of it. But don't assume that there's this line that's drawn just to the south of intercourse, and as long as you stay south of that, you're perfectly okay. Because what you're doing is, even if you did, even if you never had intercourse, but you did all kinds of other sexual stuff before you were married, all of this bonding stuff would be going on and with that person, and it would decrease your ability to bond um, with somebody else in your lifetime, okay? You would be creating emotional bonds with people because of a system that God's put in place in your brain that, that he created to be there to help you bond with your future spouse. And so one of the reasons that God wants you to save that for marriage is because God wants you to have great sex. God wants you to have as much sex in your lifetime as you can. To do that, you get the most out of it, and you have the most and best sex you can if you wait until marriage, where it was intended to be. Um, so, because let's look then at what happens to the process when you deviate from this and you have sex before you're married. All right. One of the things that God has put in each one of us is a longing for intimacy. Now, often when we hear the word intimacy, we think sex. But that's not what intimacy is. Intimacy is knowing and being known and loving and being loved, serving and being served. It's, it's getting to know a person at a deep, deep level, okay? Where somebody knows your fears and your secrets and, and they know your greatest faults and they still love you. That's intimacy, okay? And there's something in us, that each one of us, that longs for that. And, um, and so when you start, when you're in a dating relationship, um, again, I like graphs. Okay, so you're in a dating relationship, and, and so the intimacy, you first start to get to know the person, you then start to like them, you get to know more about them, and, and you're growing closer, and you're falling in love, and you now know. I mean, I remember one of the things that attracted me most to Karen when we were dating was when I realized she knew some of my greatest faults and still loved me and didn't reject me. And that's intimacy. And so you're getting to that point in the relationship. So, so the intimacy is going up and to the right. It's growing. You're falling in love. It's going great. Okay? Here's what we know about uh, intimacy and sex. If you introduce sex into a dating relationship, wherever you are on this graph, the intimacy stops growing. And it flatlines. Every single time. And there's reasons for that. I'm not going to get into that. It's an, it's an amazing study, though, um, that I could point you towards if you're really interested in seeing that. And I've talked to so many people over the years, and, and to the grown-ups, we're going we're to pick up on this and talk some more about that uh, tomorrow night. Um, and usually what happens in a dating relationship when, I mean, because everything's going right, and then it becomes the, I know what will bring us closer than we've ever felt before. You f it feels like, I mean, because you're growing and you're falling in love with this person, you have sexual desire for them. God's put that in you. That's a part of the way God's wired you. 
But when you start to think that, you know what, we'll grow, we'll, it'll make us feel even closer. Here's the reality. So then you, then you start having sex, but you're still dating, thinking maybe it'll make us feel closer. And you know what? It does. It works. Because that's why God designed it. Because he designed it to be a bond. And that bond begins to get created. And so you were hoping it would make you feel close, and you know what? It does. But the relationship stops growing. And pretty soon, you're basing the whole relationship on the sex and not the relationship. And not very long after that is usually when couples break up, dating couples break up. Because there's something they realize, this relationship isn't growing anymore. And the sex that we thought would take us to new levels only feels that way for a while. And then we realize the whole development of the relationship got cut off. Um, and so let me tell you a little bit about what happens when you have sex with more than one person before you get married. Um, and I think, I think there's lies of our culture. There's lies that we all grew up with. And some of the lies are this, that women are bonded. Women get emotionally bonded during sex, but men are free. Men, we don't carry around those bonds, and that's a lie. We do. Um, we talk about how it's interesting the language that we even use, that the value of, of protecting your virginity and not having sex until you're married is really a higher value for women. Because listen to this. We, we talk about how women lose their virginity or their purity, which means that they somehow move away from the ideal. But when boys or men have sex, they score which means we've kind of moved towards the ideal. And so we've had this double standard of even sex that for girls, it's a movement away from what's right. And for boys, somehow it's a movement towards. And that's just a lie. Because we're equally, equally damaged and scarred by that. Um, and what happens with, we, we talked a little bit about the brain, what happens when you have multiple sex partners before marriage somebody other than your spouse, you suddenly have your brain that you have all those grooves and ruts in your brain that have been created and are still there for other people. And your ability to bond with your spouse, with your husband or your wife, is greatly diminished because your brain has already been adapted for other people. Um, and then there's one really interesting thing happens with the oxytocin. Remember how I said, as time goes on, the oxytocin in a sexual relationship, the body releases, the brain releases more and more oxytocin as a relationship goes on? Well, here's what happens, and this is, you, you, science has measured this. When you start having sex with somebody, the oxytocin gets released, and the more you have sex with them, the more that it's going up and to the right, until you stop having sex with that person, and when you start having sex with the next person, the body, your body with the oxytocin suddenly the brain goes, well, well, no, wait a minute. The brain gets ready to release oxytocin because you're having sex, but the brain stops and goes, no, wait a minute. I thought, I thought we were bonded with that person, and now we're with this person. And the brain reacts to that by releasing less oxytocin. And so over time, when you start having sex with somebody else, the, level, the amount of oxytocin that's released becomes less and less over time, which means... When you have sex with anybody other than your future spouse and the more of those people that you do, it decreases the ability that you will have to bond with your spouse. 
there is a long-term impact of that. It's not just wrong. It's not just bad. It will, God says, I want, you, I want you so ready to bond with your mate, with your husband or your wife, that your sex will be great, and the two of you will grow close, and you'll be bonded, and you'll be soulmates for the rest of your life. And, the, and any action that you do, any sexual activity outside of that before you get married will decrease your ability to do that when you get married. And so you have to begin thinking now, how important is that to me? How important is it that I get to marriage ready to have a sexual relationship with my husband or my wife that will be the best it can be and will last me through a lifetime and will help our marriage? Um, And so everything about the way God has made you, everything about the way that God has wired you, has been designed to bond you physically, emotionally, and spiritually with one other person on the planet. Everything about your bodies, everything about your brains, your thoughts, your chemicals and your hormones, even your eyes, for those of us who are boys and men, has been for the purpose of bonding. You have been specifically designed to bond with one other person on the planet in your lifetime. And that's the way God designed it. He designed it for marriage. And the, the idea that the two become one flesh, that we would experience intimacy at the highest level that two people can experience it. And that when we experience that kind of intimacy, we actually reflect the image of God. It's in that kind of a sexual relationship that we more closely are the image of God. And so God isn't against sex. That God loves sex. He wants you to have as much of it uh, in your lifetime and to enjoy it as much as you possibly can. But the question is, will you begin to rethink how you view sex and view it the way God does and the way God has designed it? Um, and so in that, you need to know that you have been designed physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, to bond with one other person in your lifetime. And any sexual experience that you have with someone other than your spouse or your future spouse diminishes your ability to do that. And you carry those bonds with you through your whole lifetime. And you will enjoy less sex uh, in your lifetime. So I know that was kind of a crazy topic, but thanks for listening to me. This is really, really an important deal. And so what we're going to do right now is give you a chance to talk about this a little bit. Um, and that may be a little bit awkward, but this will be a great first start to just kind of kick around and go, you know, what struck you about what we talked about tonight that maybe you hadn't thought about before? And so, uh, Pete, why don't you tell us what, where we're going to go and how we're going to do that from here? Can you do that? Let me, can we, before you do that, let me pray. God, this is such an important topic, and I know sometimes it's awkward to hear it, and maybe it's awkward to be in a room with both parents and kids, but God, this is so, so important. And thanks, God, that you uh, took so much care in creating us sexually, that you want it to be a really important deal for us, and it's an important deal for you. And God, thanks that you want us to get the most out of it that we possibly can in a lifetime. And so I pray for everybody in this room, not just the young people, but for all of us, the old people too. Um, that you would free us from the shame of things that we're not proud of and mistakes that we've made. And then, God, would you set us on a course where we can experience 
uh, sex the way you've designed it to. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.